Since 1993, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now at Copenhagen, receive $200 off any stressless seating or $400 off stressless Mayfair chair and ottoman when you donate $50 to one of our local charities. For more ways to save, visit our showroom on Breaker Lane or go to copenhagenliving.com. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the podcast about the people, places, and things we love about Austin. Our podcast is from the feature staff at the Austin American Statesman, and we're sponsored by Copenhagen Furniture. I'm Statesman restaurant critic Matthew Odom, and in this week's episode, we talk to James Beard Award-winning chef Chris Shepard of Houston's Underbelly Hospitality. He has a new book out called Cook Like a Local, and in this conversation, we explore the various foodways, influences, and people of his town. I think a lot of people, when they think of Houston, when they think of cooking, when they think of Houston restaurants, they think of you these days. They think of Chris Shepard. They think of your original restaurant, Underbelly. Mm. But you're not a native Houstonian. No, no. I grew up in Tulsa. Born in Nebraska and grew up in Tulsa. So the kind of the face of uh, modern Houston cooking right now is a transplant, which I guess makes sense considering what a big immigrant city it is. I mean, that's Houston, yeah. right? There's, there, you don't know, or you can't, you don't meet a lot of people that are like born and raised Houston that live there and have, have done it there. There's a handful for sure, but um, it is a, a city of people that have moved there for one reason or another. When you lived growing up, you grew up in uh, Nebraska and Oklahoma, is that right? Uh, well, I was born in Nebraska, but we moved when I was a child. Okay. So, like an infant, if you will. So I don't really... You know, people always come up to me like, I'm from whatever small town. I'm like, that's awesome. Like, I don't know what that is. But, you know, I grew up going to Omaha um, for holidays and, you know, going to Lincoln for football camps. And But uh, other than that. Did you uh, grow up eating a lot of steak and potatoes? A yeah. pretty, pretty generic uh, American diet? Um, my family definitely had a half a steer in their freezer at all times. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was Tulsa. And who cooked it, mom or dad? Mom. Yeah, and so did you start cooking when you were a teenager? When did you get interested in in food? You know, it was one of these things that, like, as a small child, like like eight, nine, ten years old, um, it's still the only cookbook that's in our kitchen is the the Walt Disney cookbook that my parents gave me when I was like seven. You still have it in your kitchen, right? It's the only one. Oh. Yeah, it's the only cookbook in the kitchen, <laughs> actually. Um, and it, it's one of those things, that, like. Uh, my parent, I would sit and scroll through them. That's what we did. My mom was a huge cookbook collector as well, and so I just sit and look at cookbooks all day long. But that one, you know, as as a you know eight year old, was the one that really kind of caught my eye. And I would pick out recipes from that, and my parents would take me to the store, take me shopping, and then we would make whatever that was. And so, I mean, we ate a lot of hot dog pizzas. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. <laughs> Whether it was good or like. They just were super supportive of that idea for me, and I didn't know it's what I wanted to do until later in life. You know, it was, I always cooked for friends or family or what have you, and I was always helping out in the kitchen, but it was, uh, you know, growing up, it was, you should go to college and get a degree and, you know, business something, which I didn't know what that was, <laughs> you know, and I realized that at, a, at, you know, a later age, like, you know, 20, that I was like... I don't want to do someone's taxes. I don't want to, you know, be a lawyer. I don't want to business something. I don't want to, you know, any of that. 
So um, cooking kind of, it drew me to that. What brought you down to Houston? Culinary school. Um, it was working through a Japanese restaurant in Tulsa that, uh, you know, at a certain point, my the owner of the restaurant was like, you need to go to school. You have a talent. You've kind of, I've taught you what I can teach you here um, in the kitchen. And he's like, you need to go to school. And this was like 94, you know? And so like, there was no food network. There was no like, um, like a reference point that there is now. I didn't even know what culinary school was. And so, uh, I came down and kind of toured one and I just, it was like, this is what I want to do. <laughs> you know, it was, it was super exhilarating to me. And, and, um, yeah. Did you go through the whole process? I did. Yeah. Would you do it over again? If, if you came to, would you <coughs> recommend to a, a 21, 20, 19 year old kid that wants to learn how to cook? There's, there's two sides of that coin, right? Um, one life experiences and working in restaurants is very beneficial, but, um, I think if you don't, you miss the, how to properly braise, how to make a hollandaise, how to the classics that you, um, may or may not pick up in today's kitchens. And I think that those things are very important. Um, so yeah, I do think you should go to school, but I, if not, then you need to know where we came from. Right. Right. And I think that a lot of times, uh, young cooks don't see that. They just, they, they see the, you know, they go stage all over the place. They go work all over the place, which is awesome. Um, but you, you miss the, you know, how to properly do this one or two, you know, whatever it may be. Right. You Maybe know, you're painting the house and you didn't learn how to frame it or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And so it, it's, uh, I think th- there's two things I think, but if you're going to go to school, you need to work full time at the same time. Right. Um, and I think that a lot of times culinary schools don't want to teach you to tell you that. Right. They think like, oh, go get a job, you know, a couple, make it easy on yourself while you're going. Right. No, you got to work full time and go to school full time. Cause if not, you know, when you get out of school, <laughs> you think that eight hours is tough. Right. You know, <laughs> and, and, and that's like a half day. And so, it's not right. <laughs> no, no. <clears throat> eight hours is a half day for, for most cooks. So, um, and to, I think to, to do it in a longevity and in a career that you have to set yourself up for success by doing both. When you, uh, yeah, and kitchens don't have time to teach you all that technique necessarily. They don't have the patience for it and you're going to end up, you know. Yeah. I, I think that even like with our staff, we try and teach them all these things a lot, you know, and kind of go back. But if you don't, you know, you can look at today's cooks and there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, I think it takes the individual to have to want to learn it. Um, if I said to any, you know, our staff right now, like everybody stop and make a holidays. I think that probably 40% would look at me like, uh, what, right. you know, and then the others would just be like, let's go, you know? Right. And, but it's, um, th- there's nothing wrong with that either. But I, I think that, uh, it's just the basis of knowledge that people should want to do it. Did you find, um, as chefs started becoming quote unquote famous and chefs are the new rock stars and all that, you know, a decade ago, seven years ago, did you see different people coming into your kitchen to work? Did you, did the pool of applicants change and did the people that came for the wrong reasons get thinned out pretty fast? You know, our staff is, is, is amazing. And, um, the, the cooks and the, and the leaders that come into our, our restaurants, uh, front of the house too, like everybody is there for a while. You know, if, if you want to learn and you want to do something right, you know, it really are under really hospitality people really buy into it and so um for one reason or another um but th- those that that don't don't 
last very long. And it's not like we have to get rid of people. It's like they just see that it's not them. Right. <laughs> no, they thought they were signing up for. What um what was your first job in Houston? <laughs> a- after school. Um I uh, well or maybe even during it was during, during school. school. Um I worked at Houston Country Club. Okay. Um you know, I thought that that was the way to go was go work for a master chef and trout you know. almondine and steak and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, I was banquet prep for a long time. Right. Um and then I was like one of the first students from the art institute that was going to school that they put on the line and it was exhilarating for me um because it was definitely a cia run kitchen um the culinary institute of america that you know they put every extern that came through was on the line and so it, there was nothing wrong with that it's just like that, they were only there for a short amount of time so they needed to get as much as possible and so um full brigade style kitchen oh yeah absolutely um and then uh i went to work at a place called tommy's patio cafe in clear lake I'm not familiar with what's yeah, Tommy's you patio. Be, you wouldn't. I mean, it's a small little. Mm-hmm. I lived in Clear Lake at the time, and so it was gotcha. like I needed to be closer to home. Um, and then I took a job at uh, Bentwater Country Club, mm-hmm. and you know it was one of those things like I made a good living. I had insurance, and it was like when I say a good living at that time, it was like eighteen thousand dollars a year, right? You know, but I had insurance, and I was like, I'm living high on the hog. Sure. You know? And uh, Randy Evans, who was my best friend, and still is. Uh, you know, going to culinary school, we sat down next to each other and we did every class together and we just kind of grew with each other. And he was working at Brennan's at the time. And, uh, you know, he came, you know, at the, he lived in, uh, so we both lived outside of Houston, but he lived in, uh, I lived in Conroe and he lived in Willis, which is, Con- how'd you end up in Conroe? Well, Bitwater Country Club's out oh, right, in okay. Willis. <laughs> and so <laughs> he would, he would, he came by one night and he was like, man, how was your night? What'd you do? And I was like, I rocked out the taco buffet. <laughs> you know? He's like, I was like, "What'd you do?" He's like, ah, four hundred and fifty covers tonight." And I was like, "Man, I'm doing the wrong things. I'm just absolutely doing the wrong things." And uh, he took me in for dinner and uh, for my birthday, and I was working there two weeks later. What was your first impression of Brennan's? I was overblown. I was just like blown away, like product, um, how cooks were, you know, how cooks ran. Like I was like. To me, I opened my eyes. I was like, I'm with the best cooks I've ever met before, you know? Right. To see, you know, on any given night to do 500 covers and just slanging, you know? And it was, you know, 97, middle, almost 98, but it was, uh, it was so beneficial for me because it was like, you learn how to be fast. You know, you learn how to come in and prep everything perfectly, but quickly, and so it always gave you a sense of urgency. It's like when they talk about football players going from college to the NFL, even the ones that are, are great athletes, it's a, the speed of the game, the pace of the game yep. is what's going to surprise you the most. It, it did, you know, and it was like, uh, you know, Randy and I lived way out there and we would kind of carpool in. And for me, it was like, okay, we have to be there at three. I knew I want to be there at one thirty because I want to get my stuff done. And he was like, nope, not going to happen. I will be at your house at two o'clock because it took an hour to get there. We He's would not walk giving you in. that extra time. No, it never did. But it made me be better. Right. You know, it made me be more organized. It made me think clear. It made me uh, understand timing and how to get my knees ready for service by the time I needed it to have. And 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 uh, I, I'm really thankful for that because if I had that opportunity, I would have gone in at like eleven. And just prepped and be ready and like just kind of skateboarding and relaxing by five o'clock or five thirty when service started. But it wasn't. It was hammer down, get it done, and uh, it, it it really pushed me to learn a lot more than I thought I would. 
And you were there for how many years? I was there for nine years. Well, wow. yeah. so when was the first time you had fish sauce? <laughs> um, not too, probably not too far after that. It would, you know, because you're talking about um, you get done with service, you go grab a beer, and then all of a sudden you end up at, at Mai's, um, you know, old school Vietnamese place two blocks from Brennan's, and they were open till four in the morning. So, you know, and they treated us real well. They would let us, you know, there'd be, you know, 50 people waiting on the table, and they'd be like, oh, you guys come on in, right? We got your table ready. And it's like, that was super nice, you know? Um, but you go out with cooks and, you, you know, when that happens, you start trying everything and things that you normally wouldn't. And, you know, for me, peanut sauce was like, I'm happy. That's all I need, right? Right. Rice noodles and peanut sauce. And then, like, someone's like, don't do that, man. I was like, why? He's like, use that one. And I tasted it. I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> nah, not for me. You know, and that's just on its own. But when you add it to the dish, it changes everything. It changes that dish completely from a, you know, you put peanut sauce on it. It's like a, a peanut butter bowl of rice noodles. It's just like sticky and gummy, but you put knock mom on it, and all of a sudden it's like the world changes, and it's like acidity and sweetness and funk and herbs and like fresh and clean. And like now that's when I kind of started to understand that, you know, oh, this makes sense. So is that when you're, I mean, you're working at Brennan's and it's kind of French style, mm-hmm. um, Creole cuisine, Texas Creole cuisine. You know, great technique, powerful flavors, but maybe not the complexity that you find in, in Asian flavors. Yeah, totally different. <laughs> so did so did this kind of, when you started going to Mize, did this kind of open your eyes to a whole other world of, of, of dining and yeah, cooking? 100%. You know, and it, it made me realize that, like, you know, when I got done with school, I went and applied at some places in Tulsa. You know, it was the, the plan was for me to go back and... um seeing the diversity of the city and seeing all the product and all the things that I could get, like that's what kept me in Houston 100%. And then, you know, when, you know, working at Brennan's, it was uh, starting to go out and eat with other cooks, you know, because in Conroe, they didn't do that. There right. weren't any other, you know, like <laughs> you, it just didn't happen. So right. um, actually sitting inside of Houston and going to all these new places, it really opened my eyes like, ooh, what does a bond me? Mm-hmm. You know, because that wasn't in Tulsa. Like, you didn't have that. And so... Um, it really started to shape me as a human. You know, oh, let's go get Thai food now. Oh, okay. You know, it's so much more than Pad Thai or, you know, Indian food. Wow, this is amazing, you know. And so it just made me want to always go out and eat new things. When you, at what point before you, I think you opened Underbelly in what, 2012? Mm-hmm. So at what point leading up to that did you think to yourself, when I get my first kitchen, I want to do something that explores kind of the complexity and the diversity of the city. Well, it was really a Catalan when I, you know, because I, I spent seven years in the kitchen at Brennan's and then I ran the wine program for two years because um, I wanted to understand front of the house and back of the house, both. I wanted to understand why. And and it was really, you know, Charles and, and Grant from Ibiza really gave me the opportunity to um, learn and be me, which was cool. They opened up Catalan or they were opening Catalan and asked me if I wanted to do it because I understood both sides. And it was an this open is a kitchen. Spanish restaurant in yeah. downtown Austin. In Houston, yeah. I mean downtown Houston. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was it was on Washington Avenue, which was at that time there was nothing really there. Um, and they, you know, we want to do the Spanish philosophy and, and really focus on this region. And it was that lasted um, ooh, four months, really, of of really trying to do Spanish cuisine, and then uh, it, like the product availability wasn't there for that style of food, right? Um, and it just wasn't comfortable, right? It didn't fit me well. I mean, it did. There were certain things that I needed to do, but um, 
it was like, well, why can't I look at that region? That region is, of, of Spain is, focuses on their cuisine. They focus on their product. Why can't I do that here? And so that's when it all kind of clicked for me. It was like, I'm going to just use as much from the farmer's market. I'm going to use much from our local ranchers. I'm going to use as much from the diversity of our city, and I want to learn more about that. And so I kind of went out and started doing that. You, your, your book that uh, came out this fall, mm-hmm. uh, Cook Like a Local, it sounds like the, the ethos of the book, it says at the beginning, flavors that can change how you cook and see the world. Mm-hmm. So whatever the ethos is driving this book, sounds like it was driving the, the early part of your kind of stepping outside of that yeah. of that comfort zone. It, it, it really, you know, the, the goal is like to learn people and to learn different things and, and not just being inquisitive all the time and wanting to learn. Um, that's where that came from. It was like, this is who I am as a person, but this is who we can all be because this is the way our country is at this point. And definitely, I mean, I say it a lot that this is a, that book that cook like a logo is, is a love letter to Houston, but it's a love letter to our country and wherever you're at. Yeah. I mean, you say to the individuals who have risked everything to come to this country and start a new life. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something to be said for that because, you know, it's like a lot of times you go into these restaurants and it's like, what'd you do before you came here? And they're like, I was a doctor. I was a lawyer, but I can't do that. You know, the it doesn't transfer in the U.S. So I cook now because that's what I know, and it's folks cooking for their cultures and cooking for, you know, their people and wanting to show who they are. And when you can take a look at it and step outside of like, I'm going to put myself into this position to try something new. um, It makes more sense, but you know, at the same time, respecting and loving that is is a huge part of it so the book you know there's there's all sorts of um immigrant families uh and their restaurants that are represented in this book and kind of inspiration for certain dishes when you opened underbelly in 2012 you had a wall and on your menu Mm -hmm. i think you pointed towards some of these people and their restaurants what was the idea behind behind that concept it was a map of our city you know, at Catalan, you know, people would come in and say, this reminds me of New York or L.A. or whatever. But nobody ever said it reminds me of Houston. And, and I, you know, not being a Houstonian and learning as much as I did, like, that was irritating to me because people didn't really understand their own city. Because, you know, Houston is so big that if you work downtown and you live in Katy, where you get on the freeway and you go. But if you never got off onto the side streets, you would never see what Houston really is. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like it was our turn to show people who we are. Did you, have you dealt with any pushback at all? There's a chef here that opened a Indian inspired restaurant, Caucasian dude, uh, had spent time in Goa and one of his mentors was an Indian chef in New York city. So he's obviously familiar with Mm -hmm. it. You obviously celebrate all these other restaurants to the degree that you even put their names on your Mm -hmm. wall and you put them in your book. Was there any pushback at all, or how do you deal with the balance of people saying, well, it's a white guy cooking Korean dumplings or braised goat. It's it's a white guy cooking Chinese food. Like, stay in your lane. Yeah, no, I, I think that the answer to that is that we just want to be the gateway for this. Right. Right? We want people to try this, but and I'm never going to do a pad thai dish, right? I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do a bowl of pho, but I'll do the flavors of that and then tell you at the end. This is where you need to go to get this. Right. So it's all of us doing it together. It's like, I don't want that spotlight. I want all of us to have that spotlight. And and that's why it was such a big thing for me to put that map of the city up on the wall and put all of these people into our lives because they should be in our lives. 
these are the people that did risk everything to get here and they need to be highlighted and loved for that and so that book is just it's all over the place like the people that i've learned from and because they need just as much credit as everybody else um and they've just taken me in as part of their family and helped me to understand certain flavors like but none of these things are really on their menus right but it's i mean some of them are of course but like it's not that i discovered this right I, you know <laughs> this has been here for a long time it's just something that i'm learning and wanting to show you're, other you're not the christopher columbus of no. houston food <laughs> no i want i want people to find their own path and and if we can give them the 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 the, the map to go do that then i think we all become a better society and that's the goal is like that in this book, it's about, it is, there's a lot about Houston, but it's more about where you're at because even here in Austin or in Minnesota or whatever, um, the diversity is there. Just go out and look for it and be a part of it and celebrate it. Do you take pride in having knocked down so many barriers? I mean, you really brought Houston together in a way that, you know, a lot of people can't, whether it's musicians, politicians, whatever. I, you know what? I, I just, it's a belief of mine that we can all do this together. And so um, I don't know if I've knocked down any walls or barriers. I think that I've just shined a light onto it. And that's what needs to happen. So Cook Like a Local, it's set up unlike, you know, any any, uh, cookbook I've seen. Uh, And obviously you only have one cookbook at your house, so you probably weren't in (laughs) I have a lot of cookbooks at the house. I only have one in the kitchen. Oh, one in the kitchen. (laughs) Um, But it's broken down into fish sauces, chilies, soy, rice, spices, and corn. Mm -hmm. So... In a way, it's kind of breaking it down by cuisines, but but not exactly. But it's by the building blocks of these cuisines. How did you choose to put the chapters in the way you did? Well, we wanted to do something different, and and these kind of ingredients can translate across the world. You know, it's not just like when you look at miso or soy. It's not just miso. It's not just soy sauce. It's it's so many different other aspects that you can put into so many different cuisines. You know, you can stand in a Mexican kitchen and look around and be like. Man, if you just gave me some fish sauce, I could rock Vietnamese out of this all day long. Right. You know, or I could do Indian food out of this same kitchen. Like, and the, the, the ingredients are very similar. And so it's, it's more of an ingredient focused. I mean, it's definitely an ingredient focused book instead of a chicken chapter and a pork chapter and a, you know, side dish chapter, which is cool too. But this just means this makes more sense to me because it's how I walk into a cooler and look at things. Mm-hmm. If, a, if, a, if I came to you and said, I'm going to the store. What are the three or five staple ingredients I should keep in my kitchen if I want to be a a, a cook that can build something I, with flavor? Some sort of dried chili, right? Um, I think uh, fish sauce for sure, um, cilantro, fresh chili, and limes, and and you can you can rock a lot of things. A little bit of soy as well. What if somebody was like you know they taste fish sauce and it's super funky and you know you've got to mix it with some things oftentimes to cook with it? What's if somebody said? Okay, I got my bottle of fish sauce. Now what do I do with it? Because you don't just pour it all over rice. No, so you got it's you got to manage that. So what's, like, what's the easiest thing? The easiest starter kit fish sauce recipe to teach somebody? Fish sauce, sugar, like some kind of a vinegar base or lime juice, and some chilies, and you can you can go from there. Whip it up and put yeah, it on anything. I, I think you know you you've got the book open to one specific recipe, and I think that that is. Um, it's just a grilled chicken, right? It's an herb marinated chicken. We didn't want to make it too like over the top and what it is, but it's basically just fish sauce and, and 
and cilantro and green onions and garlic and hunt, uh, you know, honey and, and like that is a perfect marinade. And for people to start to understand the flavors and components of fish sauce, it's uh, because when you cook this chicken, it doesn't scream to you like when you open a bottle of fish sauce. Right. Right. It just enhances everything. It makes everything a little bit better. That's page 38 and yeah. cook like a local, the grilled, grilled herb marinated chicken. What's the easiest thing in this cookbook for somebody to cook? I think that one. Really? Yeah, because I think people... But you got to grill it and not everybody knows yeah, when to pull can, it off, right? You can roast it. You okay. can do whatever you want with it. Like, it's your house. I don't care. Like, <laughs> it's just, it's about making that marinade and putting that onto a piece of chicken that, you know, you can do it on chicken thighs. You, can, you don't have to do a whole chicken. Like, you can do whatever you want. Like, this is just a roadmap for your success and... There's something about this marinade specifically that keeps that chicken really, really moist. You know, you skin on chicken and it's delicious. Um, I, I think that is probably one of the easiest things in there. That and japchae. What's the, um, which is a uh, sweet potato noodle Korean yeah. dish, right? Yeah, yeah. So what's the what's the heart what's the thing in here if you cook it and you get it right you can pound your chest and say I'm the one who knocks. Like, what's the, what's, <laughs> I think it, it there's there's the Vietnamese fajitas are the same way um, and then like you can take the same kind of marinade and puree peanuts into it and cook fish and put it on the fish and use it as a pesto and it just it's so easy and it keeps it just like entrapped in moisture and um, I think if you can like. Cooking a whole fish at home or just fish at home sometimes can be a little nerve-wracking, mm-hmm. and that just makes it easy. It's a foolproof method. You spend much time in Austin? Uh, at time, yeah. Yeah. Here and there. You were here not long ago with Aaron Franklin talking about your book. Uh, I know mm-hmm. you guys have a friendship yeah. uh, that's lasted a few years now. You guys yeah. cook at each other's events. Yeah. What's the uh, When you come to Austin, are you looking to eat anything in particular? I mean, we're a town that's long been known for... For Tex-Mex and burgers and a little bit of barbecue, and mm-hmm. obviously the scene has changed a lot. So when you come to a city like Austin, how do you think about where you want to eat besides your friends' places? <laughs> I, I want to try new things all the time, and I think that Austin is a, is a, a you know, it always has something new going on. Um, and I think there's people here doing really good food. I think, uh, you know, Olame and, and Commodore and, and, and Suerte and things like that. Like, those, those folks are doing just great food. And then you look at, the you know, the... Uh, the Uchi guys, like they always have something really interesting going on, and um, I think, but I think there's a lot of hidden gems in this place too, in the city. I think like Emmer, we had brunch at Emmer and Riot. I was blown away that they change the style of food every three months for their like, brunch menu. Yeah. yeah, it's so cool, you know. And and I think that uh, to have people like this in the city that are pushing really hard is is really impactful. The one thing we don't have as much as the city of Houston is the diversity. Uh, and the immigrant communities, we we have some, obviously. Yeah, it's here. Um, it's here, and it, it, our city's growing in a different way. You know, Houston's always been kind of sprawled out. Mm. Austin's kind of expanding outward, um, and it becomes harder for people to figure out where should where should we go. I mean, how and what what would you tell a diner that? It's like, you know, besides reading everything that I write, <laughs> yeah. like, if they were like, I want to try Korean food or I want to try West African food or I want to try even Vietnamese food or Thai food if they haven't had it, but I'm intimidated by it or I don't know where to look, how would you suggest somebody broaden their uh, mind? The Google Nader mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is a great tool. Um, and I think that once you can find something, you know, and be like, oh, that, you know, look at a menu online, right? And then go. You can kind of game plan what you're going to do and, and, you know, step outside of your box a little bit and understand that, like, if you go to, like, a, a West African restaurant, right, that they're, they're cooking for that culture. And, and you can just be a part of it 
for the hour that you're there and embrace that hour, right? And try and learn as much as you possibly can from it. And don't go in with these preconceived notions of like, I'm, you know, uh, I want this specifically done this way. And that's not how it works, right? It's going in and opening yourself and opening, opening yourself up for something new. Um, it may not be the texture that you love. It may not be the flavor that you love, but understand that that is what the culture is and respect and love that for what it is. Um, it would have been the same thing for me years ago with Vietnamese, right? If I didn't open myself up to loving fish sauce or rice noodle or like an egg cake, like, I don't know where I would be, right? you know, and, and then you can start to understand people for who they are and what they're doing it for. And I think that's a beautiful thing in life when, in- when you can step outside of like, I love tacos, right? right? But like, who doesn't <laughs> go try something new, right? right? You can eat tacos all the time, but it, I think when you can go outside and, and spend, you know, 30 or 40 bucks and you can order five or six different things with, you know, two people, like, yeah, it's a lot of food. But don't be afraid of it because you're just trying a lot of new things. And, and very much like if you can walk into a restaurant and show that you're passionate about it and you, that you want to learn about it and that you want to, you know, you're respectful about it, then the, they, the servers will generally open up to you. Mm-hmm. Like I've never had somebody be like, no. I mean, I have. Let's not be. That's, that's a <laughs> lie. But like, you got to embrace that too and love it. Right. Like, oh, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, like because so many times people go into restaurants and they just don't like something so they don't want to pay for it. Well, that's not really the way it should go about because is it cooked inaccurately? Is it, or is it just not to your style? Right, right. And that brings up another point that like, if, just because you go to try Thai food or Korean food at one place and you don't like it, that doesn't mean you don't like no. Thai food or Korean food. No. <laughs> and I mean, so if, if somebody goes and has a dish of pad krapao or pad siu or something somewhere, and they they don't like it, but then you get them to go somewhere else and they love it, what what do you think differentiates? These dishes that are so standard and so well known and mm-hmm. so ingrained in these cultures, what makes one better than the other? I think a lot of it goes back to the mindset of the diner that when they go in, you know, and then starting to understand, like if you can open yourself up to it, like you may not like it at one place, it doesn't mean you don't like it forever, right? Like, and you just got to be willing to, you know, at the end of the day, it's like eight bucks, right? Spend the eight bucks and try something new or try something, you know, like I didn't really like this papaya salad at this place, but maybe I'll like it here. Like always stick to a couple of things and try them. You know, you never know what you're going to find that you like. You know, I um, I am probably one of the few people in the world that doesn't really like kimchi, you know, but I eat it at every Korean place we go to because everybody's kimchi is completely different. And I'm going to find one that I really like and that's going to be great. You know, I don't necessarily want it on a burger or on a taco, but and it's time and place and where it's supposed to be is, is delicious, you know? And so as a cook, what do you, what's the one dish or the cuisine that you wrestle with that you haven't been able to not master, but figure out to your liking? What, what gives you the hardest time? That's really easy. Italian. Hmm. Italian food is not my jam. Um, what's difficult about it for you? You, you know, I, I think Italian food is one of those things where people spend their entire lives, um, focusing on that. And that's fantastic. But, um, you know, we tried it. We did romance languages for a year, and it was French, Italian, and Spanish at one-fifth. But it, for me, like, I need a sense of truth to a dish, right? And I think that's why just a we went to Rome because I wanted to understand carbonara, right? And, and if we're going to do it, I'm not going to put cream in it. I'm not going to put peas in it. I'm not going to put bacon in it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make guanciale. And we're going to do it that way. I'm going to use the pasta that, you know, is I saw used 
I'm going to fight to bring that in, and we're going to go from there. And it's going to be exactly the way it should be. Is it like smoking hot and dripping with sauce? No, but it's a perfect bowl of pasta. And I think that um, a lot of times people make pasta to make pasta, and there's not a for me it gets confusing, right? Mm-hmm. It becomes very muddy water because I don't understand where, like, how does this, where does this come from, you know? And, and then you get into Italy, and like from where you're sitting to where I'm sitting is two different people making the same thing but two different ways, but it's both of them are historically correct. And then, um, so I need some kind of definition in my mind. <laughs> That's probably the only cuisine that I need that in, right? Because I don't understand it as much. And it's it's the it seems so simple. It, yeah, like the dishes you have at what, Roscioli in yeah. Rome, like it seems simple, but it, it's impossible to recreate well, almost. Because that was the place that we went that taught me and showed me how to make carbonara. Mm-hmm. Like, and so it was like, oh wait, you don't emulsify the egg and the cheese in the pan. You have to put it into a plastic bowl and and toss the eggs so they don't curdle, but yet the cheese just melts perfectly. And then you put the fat and the guanciale in and then you toss it and oh, that's how that works like and i think a lot of times people are like you know half a cup of heavy cream and a bunch of cheese and okay. some bacon and peas and like and it's just like what the heck are you doing so it was to me that was the truest form of that but also like to roll pasta out i have bratwurst for fingers <laughs> and so rolling these little tiny you know angelatis and th- clean and what happened mm-hmm. it's like I just smash them, right? And so it's like it was super frustrating to me. Is there a, is there a cuisine on the horizon or something you've been toying with the idea of of tackling? I, you know, I think the West African part of things <laughs> is, is really interesting to me um, because it's it goes back to like when I started to first understand Vietnamese. I didn't get it, and I wanted to get it. And I think that um, in Houston, it's one of the fastest growing populations in the, in the city. And so I want to understand that a little bit more. Um, I need to know what a goosey tastes like. And I need to know what fufu does and like all the different variations of fufu, whether it be made from, you know, whatever kind of, you know, from plantains or from sweet potatoes or potato. Like I need to understand that a little bit more. And I think that's probably... Um, the most beneficial thing for me to want to learn right now. What's the, uh, you get to cook like a local, somebody buys the book, they open it up, I'm going to have dinner tonight for my family or for my sweetheart or for myself. What dish do they start with? Um, <clears throat> if you want just something super easy, like the tater tot casserole and the, or the, the Lamberger Helper is super oh, easy. Lamberger Helper. Yeah, it's just cheesy, goopy a pasta dish that makes sense to me, right? Because right. it's just like, that's what I, when I talk about pasta, like that's what I want. I want something baked and cheesy and, and kind of nasty. But um, <laughs> I don't mean it like that. I mean, just like, I know you just look you at it and you're like, oh my God, this is so amazing. Um, but I, I think, Overwhelmingly comforting. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of dishes in there that you can just like, I'm, I like a side dish, I think, and a grilled thing, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of what our, our our cooking is, and so, or what I like to do at home, and so I think there's like multiple things in there that is really good, like the meat chips or whatever. Like, was there a dish that made that ended up on the cutting room floor that you wrestled with putting in there? Um, the one that scares me the most that's in there mm-hmm. is the fried chicken tamales. In what sense? Just making tamales scares me. Right. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's so easy, really. It, it is. But, um, 
you know, you got to get the maseka, you got to, or you got to go find the mill to grind the corn for you and make them, you know, perfectly and get enough fat into it. But I think with, this, with maseka, that's what we used in the book because it's something that's very, you know, prevalent and you can find. But, um, you know, it's get for me growing up, tamales was a thing. Like the proper stuffing to masa ratio, ratio yeah, yeah, is is because. I always want like a fat tamale, and that's not the way to go, you know, because they explode. They don't. They don't make sense. Like it's, they're not as good as they are if you just put a little bit. I think less is more when it comes to a tamale. So, have you? Had, did you have that uh, spaghetti squash tamale at Commodore when you were there? Uh uh-uh. uh Just do it. Putting put to put on your list for next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hungry, man. Thanks for uh, coming in. No, thanks for having. Me. Appreciate this it. Was awesome. That's our show. Thanks for listening. And thanks to our sponsor, Copenhagen Furniture. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook pages for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at LoveAustin360. And please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our podcast. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is a production of the features staff at the Austin American Statesman. This episode was produced by Jane Alexander and Alyssa Vidalis. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find everything you'd ever want to know about this show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com. We couldn't do this show without you, dear listener, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your taste buds. Until next week, we'll see you out around town trying a bowl of pho, some pad thai, or a chili relleno. Since 1993, Copenhagen Modern Furniture has showcased Austin's largest collection of fine contemporary furniture and accessories. Now at Copenhagen, receive $200 off any stressless seating or $400 off stressless Mayfair chair and ottoman when you donate $50 to one of our local charities. For more ways to save, visit our showroom on Breaker Lane or go to copenhagenliving.com. Copenhagen Modern Furniture, Austin's premier destination for everything contemporary.